think you can win on talent alone? Gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. Again. Think about something else, each and every one of you. When you pull on that jersey, you represent yourself and your teammates. And a name on the front is a hell of a lot more important than the one on the back. Get that through your head. Again. You know who needs a little Herb Brooks in their life right now? The NBA. More specific? LeBron James? Kyrie Irving? How about Josh Jackson? That's where we're going to start in today's high-octane ESPN-UP Sports Pen episode. Online with our app as well. Thanks for being here on Tanner Hoops. We have three esteemed guests join us on headset today. Jeff Olson, recently retired head football coach at Ishpeming, will join me in a few minutes. One of Coach Olson's former assistants, Scott Sergela, the current head coach at Westwood. And Ryan Stieg from the Mining Journal stops by because we are on the verge of getting the postseason kicked off for Northern Michigan Athletics. Basketball teams open the GLIAC tournament this evening, women at home, men on the road, and then hockey will get the WCHA tournament started this weekend when they welcome Alaska for a best-of-three series. So Ryan will be here to break it all down for us. Plus, there's been some oddities around the college hockey world as of late. Find out why two of Northern's conference opponents may not take the ice next season or ever again why the future of those programs are in jeopardy. Plus, you saw one of the most vicious hits in all of college hockey occur over the weekend. The player was suspended for two games, plus an additional game last night by a conference that wasn't even involved in the game. A conference that neither team involved in the game where the hit occurred was affiliated with has suspended the player for an extra game, making him ineligible unless his team makes the Frozen Four. We're going to break all that down for you in the next hour, but let's start with the NBA. You know how your parents told you growing up, I don't like you hanging out with that kid. I don't want you to fall into a bad crowd. Because you start to become those you surround yourself with. And we have a perfect example of it in the NBA right now. And let me start this point by asking you this. Are the Celtics and Lakers the two biggest disappointments in the NBA this year? They're certainly not the two worst teams, but are they the most disappointing? No one was expecting a championship from this year's Lakers, but we were expecting them to be competitive, not turn into this dumpster fire of emotions and egos that they are right now, a team that's going to miss the playoffs after losing again last night to the Crosstown rivals. But are they as disappointing as the Celtics? A team that took LeBron to seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals last year without two of their best players, without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. And then LeBron leaves the conference and goes out west. So now LeBron is out of the conference. A team that went so far without their two top players are going to get them both back for the upcoming season. There should have been nothing in the Celtics' way. Al Horford's wife actually tweeted the day LeBron was traded, the East is ours. Because so many people looked at the Celtics as this high-powered assault weapon, and you were just adding extra ammo with them. 
by adding Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving to what was already a team that was a game away from competing for the NBA Finals. And it's certainly not been the case. If the season ended today, Boston would not have home court advantage through the NBA playoffs. They would go on the road as the five seed take on Philadelphia, a team that, albeit, they've had success against. Are the Celtics a bigger disappointment in that sense than the Lakers are? Are the Celtics the biggest disappointment in the NBA this year? What's interesting about these two teams? Look at the leadership. LeBron James out in Los Angeles, Kyrie Irving in Boston. They played together as teammates in Cleveland. They won a championship in 2016. Kyrie was LeBron's sidekick before leaving to take over a leadership role with the Celtics. But has he done that? Has Kyrie been a leader? If you've been following the NBA headlines recently, it's really hard to make a case that LeBron James and Kyrie Irving are playing more for the name on the front of their jersey than the one on the back right now. If you watch the Lakers, just look at LeBron's body language. He's not trying on defense. He knows this is a lost cause. He certainly geared himself out of playoff mode. He said he checked himself into it a few weeks ago. That certainly doesn't seem to be the case anymore, if it ever was. Kyrie Irving? Well, he's still got something to play for. He's still going to go to the playoffs, and they might even be a team that a lot of people could pick to run the table in the East if they get hot. They've still got all the talent there. But when the going gets tough, like it is right now with Boston, 1-5 since the All-Star break, and they play Golden State tonight, This is where you need your leader to set the tone in the locker room. Instead, Kyrie is distancing himself from the team. He's entertaining trade rumors. This is where you need your leader to focus and lock down. A guy who already has a championship ring. He's been in this situation before. This is where we're really going to find out if Kyrie Irving values Kyrie Irving or the Celtics whose future he has in mind more. And let me tell you, as a Celtics fan, I'm not happy with what I'm seeing. So I said a couple minutes ago, you are who you associate yourself with. Where did Kyrie Irving pick up this attitude problem? Let's take a listen to a couple of post-game interviews, one from LeBron James, the other from Kyrie Irving. Here's LeBron following this weekend's embarrassing loss to the last-place Suns when asked, how the Lakers can get better. Well, limit our mistakes. That's kind of one of those I'm only here so I don't get fined type of answers. Here's Kyrie Irving following Sunday's loss to the Houston Rockets. I'll go. How, how tough was that one for, for you guys tonight? It's tough. What happened in the first half? Just didn't play well. Kyrie, in your career, have you ever gone through anything like this? What are you going to do to turn it around? Let's play better. Kyrie, you said you want to be the leader of this team. What, what do you have to do to kind of turn this thing around as a leader? I just got to play better. Can you take out of, anything out of that fourth quarter comeback? I had a result in the win, so, you know, I just got to play better. Kyrie, do you think you guys, Kyrie, do you think you guys can come together on this road trip? We'll see. And somewhere, Marshawn Lynch is smiling, pretty proud of what these two are doing. I said earlier in the show, you are who you associate yourself with. You become them. That's why your mom always said, don't fall in with the wrong crowd. Kyrie Irving is becoming LeBron. Not the way he plays, not his skill set, 
but his attitude. LeBron James is out there knowing the Lakers are a sinking ship. He is playing to get his numbers. He's playing for his numbers right now. He knows the Lakers are not a playoff team. The Lakers know they're not a playoff team. They don't hide it when they're on the floor. They stand around. They bicker. They fight amongst each other. Their body language tells it all. They don't make an effort to hide it. That locker room is so toxic right now. And this is where you need a leader. A guy who claims to be the best player in the world to be able to step up and calm the storm right now. That's where you need LeBron, a guy with three rings to take control of a really young locker room. And he's not doing it. He's not doing it. And you know why he's not doing it? Because LeBron feels that he is a god among NBA players. He feels untouchable, that he can do whatever he wants. He said he already feels like he accomplished everything he can in his career. So what's left to play for? Everything's just going to be gravy on top. He's not playing like he wants another championship in his career, not just this year, in his career. He shows up to the Staples Center with a glass of wine on game day. Can you imagine if the 12th or 13th guy on a roster did that? They'd be out immediately. Not all players are equal. LeBron knows that. His popularity took a hit in 2010 when he announced he was taking his talents to South Beach, as it should have. It looked like that he'd progressed past that. He'd done some really good things. Don't get me wrong. I want to like LeBron. As talented as he is, he's done some fantastic stuff off the court, including the I Promise School in Cleveland. But he's regressing back to 2010 LeBron. And he's bringing other players with him. Guys that he's supposed to lead. Guys that can look up to him, like Kyrie Irving. And you talk about the Lakers wanting to load up on young talent to build around LeBron. If you're a young player or an agent of a young player, the last thing you want is to pair him up with LeBron. Because look at the attitude of the guys that are on the floor when the Lakers play. Look at the body language. You think Kyle Kuzma wants to be there? You think Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, you think any of them are enjoying being LeBron's teammate? He's not a leader. Guys follow their top dog. If the top runner doesn't care, why should they? Everyone LeBron takes under his wing is getting a me-before-we attitude. You claim to be the greatest player of all time, and your team's still in the playoff picture, and you're just going to give up? No. Shaquille O'Neal went on Shaqcast. He said, you don't think there was beef between me and Kobe? There's certainly beef in the Laker locker room right now, but Shaq and Kobe didn't only make the playoffs, they won titles consistently. They were a dynasty because they put that beef aside because they wanted it. They wanted the title. LeBron James has his rings. Everything else that's on top of it is gravy. Strictly based on skill set, I don't know who's better between Michael Jordan or LeBron or any other player you want to throw in there. We'll probably never know. But here's what I do know. If Kyrie Irving had been teammates with Michael Jordan as long as he had been with LeBron James, Celtics would not be having these problems right now, and Kyrie would not be going through this attitude problem right now. Because those Bulls teams of the 90s led by Jordan were all about camaraderie. Said on the show yesterday, Isaiah Thomas said that championships were won on the bus because teams had that chemistry. They had that bond. The Chicago Bulls teams of the 90s absolutely had that. 
There's none of that with LeBron right now. And you know where that starts? It starts from the top. It starts from the top. MJ set that example. LeBron isn't. LeBron has quit on the season. The Lakers have quit on the season. Celtics haven't quit. Kyrie has an attitude problem, but he hasn't quit. Kyrie's teammates, they're all playing like they're supposed to. They're playing with the right attitude. They haven't quit because they know they are going to the playoffs. And once you get in, anything can happen. So they've still got something to play for. And the good news for Kyrie Irving, because I really like Kyrie Irving. I really do. And I want this attitude problem to get fixed because I really like him and I hope he stays with Boston. I don't think he's going to do that unless they at least make the Eastern Conference Finals. They probably have to win it. And that's the good news, is that winning is the greatest healer in the NBA. You want to call him a stormy locker room? You win. You win. And the good news for the Celtics is they still have the most talented roster in the Eastern Conference. They still can win. And once you win, the days seem a lot brighter. That brings me to the Phoenix Suns and Josh Jackson. I mentioned him at the top of the show. I want to sneak him in before the end of the segment. Josh Jackson is a rising star for a really bad team. The Suns are 14-51 and this year. That's the second worst record in the NBA, one game ahead of the New York Knicks. So last week, if you heard on the Friday Funnies with Ryan Stieg, Josh Jackson was going to be the headliner at a local event in Phoenix. People could come get his autograph, meet him. The Suns actually got a huge turnout for it. It was very popular. The only problem? Josh Jackson didn't show up because he was at a local restaurant with his friends celebrating his birthday and Instagramming it. He skips a team-sanctioned event. Not only that, but he posted on social media. He doesn't care. The Suns are 14-51. What does he care? The Suns have been awful for more than a decade. They don't look like they're going to get any better anytime soon. What's the consequence for him? Trade me? That's fine. I'd welcome that. Release me? You mean I don't have to be stuck with a team that's won 14 games and we're in early March? That'll sure teach me a lesson. What happened was the interim general manager, James Jones, had to come to the event and fill in for Josh Jackson. So he met the fans, signed autographs. He handled the situation really well. He took down the names and email addresses of everyone in attendance so he could send them free tickets. He bought everyone 21 or older a 12-pack of beer. And as well as James Jones handled the interaction, it's not going to change the perception of the Phoenix Suns. They haven't made the playoffs since 2010. In fact, they have finished 10th or lower in the Western Conference every year but one since then. The Suns just came to an agreement with the city of Phoenix that they are going to split the cost to renovate the Talking Stick Arena, which, by the way, is owned by the city. Also was where I went to my first NBA game. But the city and the team are going to split the cost for arena upgrades. And you know what? The Phoenix residents hated it. They hated it. Why should their property tax have to go up for a team that is consistently mediocre, hasn't been relevant in a decade, and they don't have any plans of moving forward in the future. Heck, their top runner skips a team-sanctioned event 
forces his GM to reach deep inside his checkbook, and then has the audacity to post about it on social media. Not only is he skipping the team's event, he feels so bulletproof that he can document it. Why, if I'm a Phoenix resident, do I want my property taxes to go up to keep a team like that in my city? If the New England Patriots wanted a brand new stadium, if they want to move inside Boston city limits, Boston residents would open their checkbooks in a heartbeat. Because that team wins. Because it's something that builds community pride in Boston. Because championship teams are good for the city. They're good for revenue. Whatever the Patriots want, their fans would get them. Winning is the greatest sanitizer. Not just in basketball, but in all of sports. And that's what the Celtics need if they want hope of saving Kyrie Irving. Because if he leaves Boston, which I'm expecting he's going to do unless Boston pulls off some kind of magical run, I don't know that there's going to be any saving his attitude. I think he will officially be a me-before-we player. And that really makes me sad, because I like Kyrie. He's a fantastic talent, and I hate to see talent smeared by an attitude. Especially one that wasn't his. One that was picked up from the so-called greatest player of all time. We owe you our first time out when we come back. Jeff Olson, head football coach at Ishpeming, announced his retirement yesterday. You'll hear an interview with him plus longtime assistant Scott Sergula. That's all coming up next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Tanner Hoops for ESPN-UP, joined by Ishpeming Hematite football coach Jeff Olson, who announced his retirement yesterday after 27 seasons and a multitude of wins during that time, including three state titles. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time. Congrats on a great career. What made it clear that your decision was to be made now? Well, when you look at, um, you know, I've been coaching football now for 37 years, um, coaching basketball, uh, almost 30, coaching track, uh, 15. You know, that's a lot of time to spend after, you know, after school's over in the off season. Um, there's a grind to all of them, but then when you're doing them back to back to back, it gets to be a huge grind and it's always been a labor of love, but when it starts to be just a labor, um, you know, it's, it's, it's time to, to, to pull the plug and that's kind of what it was getting. You know, I still, I still love the competition, but all the preparation and the grind that goes with it and the time, um, made it kind of an easy decision, but, um, you know, we do this. 365 days a year you know it's always on your mind 24 7 so um you know i think it's time to step back a little bit and 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 learn how to relax again and um you know maybe just enjoy watching other people play coach when you look back at your career did you have any idea when you started out that everything that has come to fruition would be in your future not even close and um you know i've been very fortunate to have some great coaches coach with me. Um, the great coaches mentor me as I was playing football and, and even coaching football. And um, been fortunate to have some some great players. You know, every year that I've been here, that have really bought in and not only been great football players, but have been great 
uh, people outside of football, and um, you know th- those are the reasons why we're we've been as successful as we have been. And um, you know, never in my wildest dreams, um, you know, would I have thought this would have happened. But uh, you know, my ultimate goal, you know, and you always have ultimate goals, was to get to the state championship game one time, and um, um, you know, to get there five times and to win three. Uh, you know, it's been it's been something pretty special. Coach, do you have any favorite memory, anything that stands out to you throughout your career that you're going to take with you always, always going to be special to you? Well, there's been a lot of great memories, but, um, you know, two of the ones that stand out has been coaching my sons and, um, you know, having them be successful at Ishpermine and both of them making it to the state championship game. So that's something very special because you always want your children to be successful and do good things and then to have them love what what I love to do and um, to be successful at it and to buy in and not only be great football players but great people off the field and great leaders. So, you know, being able to experience, um, you know, winning and, 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 and um, you know, great happenings with them and making it to the state championship game, those, those, that's what I'm, you know, going to remember maybe the most. Well, Coach, I know the Ishpeming community is happy for you. They're very grateful for all that you've done. I know they're going to miss you. Tell me about your reactions with some of the players and your assistant coaches when they found out the news. Well, I'll be honest with you. This is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, you know, and it was talk to our talk to our junior class and uh, give them the news because that's a great group of kids. They have great potential. Um, you know, they're an epitome of what Ishpeming football is all about um you know they're great kids off the field they work extremely hard and to have to let them know that we're you know i won't be with with them this you know this coming year or next year was extremely hard and very emotional and it's been um you know emotional for me it's been an emotional last 24 hours um with all the well wishes and the people that have reached out and uh you know it's uh you know, I knew it was going to be hard, um, and it has been, but it's something I really need to do at this time. Well, Coach, I know you've maybe already answered this, but beyond the wins and the accomplishments, the trophies that you've garnered over your time, what is, what's the most special to you, the way that you've impacted your players, your family, anything from coaching outside of the results that you're always going to carry with you? Well, uh, you know, a lot of coaches will tell you this, that um, when players that have graduated and moved on with their lives and come back and and tell you uh, that maybe you made an impact and helped them along the way somewhere, um, be young men, um, you know, that's very satisfying. And, you know, I've always approached this job as, yeah, we want to be successful on the field, but we want to make successful adults, you know, off the field and, you know, the success on the field can be measured, um, but when you can't measure the success off the field until until some of these former players come back and um, you know and, and and tell you about that. So that's um, that's something special. That's something I hold dear to my heart, and I I will always remember all the, you know all those players, and um, always look forward to to talking to them and and you know after they've graduated and uh, see what they're doing in their lives. Well, do you have any plans coming up for your retirement? Uh, no, and that's why I did it. So I didn't have, any, <laughs> have to have any plans. And just going to play things by ear and um, 
you know, one of the things it's not it didn't have an impact on why I retired, but um, September's Mental Health Awareness Month, and I've been at many places um, approach me about doing presentations and. For the last two years, I've had to say no because of the football season. So I'll be able to do that in September, but um, I'll also be able to go to uh, any game that I want and games, and not go to any games if I don't have to. So, um, you know, it's been a long time in, in athletics and coaching and then playing before that. So I'm just enjoying the choice of having the choice of what to do in the, in, in the fall and in the offseason. So Amatite fans can still expect to see you around the stadium a few Friday nights a year? Sure. You know, I'm, I'm still true blue, and I'm still going to help out the program any way I can. And, um, you know, anytime somebody asks for something, I'll be there. It'd be, be there to help out, So, um, uh, it's, but not in the coaching aspect. But I will definitely um, be Eshmeen's biggest fan and, um, you know, support them in any way I can. Jeff Olson, the recently retired head football coach at Ishpeming High School. Congrats again, Jeff, on a fantastic career. Thank you. I appreciate it. Let's switch over to one of Coach Olson's longtime assistants. That's Westwood head coach Scott Sergula. He joins me now. Coach, maybe a little bit of a surprise for us in Marquette County. Was it a surprise to you? Well, he's uh, first and foremost, you know, I talked to him yesterday. and um, I, first of all, said thank you. And, uh, for everything that he's done and uh, for my career and you know he's not only uh, helped me out in my career he's helped me out in life and uh, I was a uh, young uh, I think I started out with him when I was boy, 20 21 years old um, started out I think it was year 2000 maybe and uh, started out with him and, and uh, as a freshman assistant coach and um, made it up through the ranks uh, the following year became a JV coach and then eventually uh, his assistant and uh, you know I, I couldn't be in my opinion more blessed to have uh, to be, be able to coach underneath him and, and learn the game of football and uh, learn how he deals with, with kids and helps kids out and, um, you know it's, it's something that I model my program after and, um, and uh, people that I've seen me coach and know how he coaches. Um, it, uh, I, I try to model my program after what he does. And he, he's meant a lot to uh, my family, um, to myself in my career. And been talking with him, you know, um, you know, in regards because we're coaching together in the All-Star game. And um, I, I thought it was pretty neat where um, – I get to be the head coach and he gets to be my assistant for the all-star game. And I said, ah, the roles are reversed now, you know, and we kind of laughed and joked about it. So we've been in contact with that and talking about the draft and things. And, um, you know, it came up and, it, you know, he alluded to it and I, I knew the time was getting near, but, um, it, you know, it's, uh, you didn't know exactly when, you know, it, uh, you just knew, you know, just by the way he was talking it, uh, I mean, he's had a he's had a great long storied career, he really has, and uh, I couldn't be happier for him. It, it, he knows it's the right time, and um, I'm happy for him and his family, and and uh, he can go on and and uh, do other things and and um, spend a little more time with his family. Well, Serge, tell me about how it came to be that you first joined uh, Coach Olson's staff back in the year 2000. Sure, uh, my a friend of mine actually. Um, was coaching uh, the freshman team and 
Um, I was trying to finish up school, uh, get my teaching degree, and um, wanted to get into coaching. And uh, I asked them, I said, uh, hey, do you remember when you guys were on the two-yard line and the outside linebacker uh, hit your quarterback and, and you guys fumbled and you guys were going in for the game-winning score, but we recovered the fumble and sealed the victory? He said, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> And uh, that's when he was, I think it was his first year at uh, Ishpeming, and obviously I was at Westwood uh, playing at the time. And, and uh, I said, uh, can I have a job? He said, sure, you're hired. <laughs> and, um, you know, it didn't quite go like that, but, I mean, it, it was, you know, we talked about it, we joked about it. And uh, he was, you know, he was, um, he was a coach that uh, um, would help you out. He, he was hands-off when when I first began, he really was. And uh, it, to me, it was really neat to see his system evolve over the years because when I um, started coaching, uh, you know, at Ishpeming, we were I-formation, wing. Uh, Buck Nystrom was his assistant at the time. Uh, they were ground and pound, running a little bit of option, a little bit of read. But it was ice and slant. You know, you had uh, Jamie Sunberg and all those guys, and, you know, they were uh, Casey Hares and, and Lawson, and I mean, they had some just absolutely great, great uh, football players and kids come through that program. And uh, um, he, he, he evolved over time. And to get into the shotgun stuff that he's kind of known for now, uh, I, I was actually a part of that to where I, I saw it happen. And um, it was with his son, Daniel. And uh, what happened was Juristin was hurt uh, for his sophomore year and uh, Wyatt Juristin was. And uh, we didn't quite have a tailback that year. And, you know, we had a fullback with Cody Prisk, and uh, we couldn't really do a lot. So we started experimenting with, with Daniel as the tailback, just shotgunning it to him and him kind of running. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how it evolved. And um, it started with that and then, um, you know, he brought in the double wing. And, um, you know, I, I've seen his, his defense evolve over the years with uh, Driscoll coming in and, and showing us a few things and, and Jeff figuring things out. And, you know, that, that's one thing, uh, you know, Jeff is, is a great coach because he listens. Uh, he listens to other people and, um, and kind of takes it all in and, uh, you know, tries to do what's best uh, to put his kids in a position to be successful. And I, I think there's, in my opinion, nobody better. Serge, do you have any favorite memory along with Jeff? Maybe it was from your time as an assistant or even coaching against him. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I think about this a lot. And I, I, I talk to, you know, our kids, and, you know, and, and, and one of the most surreal things in my, probably will be in my life, will be, um, you know, the, the with, with Daniel's suicide um, and then winning a state championship and the Eric Dompier story. Um, it, uh, I had a newfound admiration for him and his family uh, when that happened. And, um, it, uh, I don't know. I don't know how he 
could do it. I mean, he's, he's out there now and trying to make awareness for it. And, um, he, uh, he's doing one heck of a job. And, uh, you know, it's the, the memory that I, I don't think of a play. I don't think of when we stopped them or Briona's had a big run or, or uh, uh, Kastriva had a big run or anything like that. I, I think of uh, when I hugged him after the game. And uh, we both broke down and uh, just sobbing, <laughs> sobbing like a couple of little schoolgirls, you know. And uh, um, we did. Uh, it was uh, it was it was pretty emo- It was very emotional, and that that's what I remember. It was uh, it was a great memory, and at the same time, it was, it was a hard memory too. It's a tough one, and uh, you know, I got a picture of it, and I got it framed. It's in my basement of me. Uh, Hugging them, and that's that's a special moment, not only in my career but in my life. And um, you know, and there's that, that that probably sticks out the most. And you know, I tell our kids this now that you don't you don't remember holding up the trophy or holding up the number one finger when you win a state championship. What you start to reflect on is the journey, and uh, that season. Um, I may never top that in my career, that 2012 season. And it was just a, the most surreal journey in my career that I've ever been on. And um, But you remember, you know, the times on the bus, the times in the hotels, the times in practices. Um, and that's, that's more important to me um, than winning a state championship. That I, I formed bonds, bonds that year. Uh, with our kids that I, I still have great relationships with them to this day. Some of them are helping me now out on my staff. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, people always ask, you know, was it hard for you to leave? And, you know, did you and Jeff have falling out? No, we, we, we didn't. Um, it was the hardest move of my career. It really was. And, uh, um, but it was time for me to try to step off Jeff's coattails and, and try to do my own thing and um, try to get a program that's uh, going uh, that, uh, that we can be year in and year out a formidable opponent. And, uh, you know, we're not there yet, but I tell you what, um, Jeff has uh, shown me the way, and I, I, think we're, I think we're on our way to trying to get this thing turned around. And, um, ironically, <laughs> Jeff has been a big part of that. Well, Coach, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you, what kind of influence was Jeff as you went out and started your own coaching career at Westwood? Well, I mean, he he has. He, he's been a big influence. You know, it's, you know, I, I mentioned before that you know I try you got to step off his coattails at some point, and you know I can't keep riding him at Ford Field every single year, and I want to try to do something on my own, and you know, and I think maybe that's just the challenge, you know, uh, of a individual. That's a challenge to me, and. Um, uh, he's been he, he's been a big part of it, ironically, in, in that he's shown me and helped me um, uh, throughout my career. And uh, you know, Jeff's not so bitter about things where um, you know, if I call up and you know, trying to pick his brain on something, I mean, he's going to be you know, selective in his, what he says, obviously, but I mean, he's still there to help, you know? Um, 
and that's who Jeff is. I know that if I called him um, two days ago and asked him before he even decided to retire or whatever, but I could call him and, and, and he would help you out. And I know that he's helped Dion out and, you know, other coaches in the past. And um, that one coach that I mentioned with you um, that I used to coach with that I started uh, coaching at Ishpeming, um, he's, he was in Arizona a few years back. And uh, they actually was at a very wealthy school district. They actually um, asked Jeff to come out and uh, give them a, give their uh, coaching staff a huge presentation, and he did. He went out there, and you know, but that's who he is, <laughs> um, and uh, that's why that's why he's successful. And uh, he's done a lot for the Ishpeming community, and I think I think that you know the thing that I've learned that I maybe I along with just X's and O's of football and things like that but um, I always tell our kids that good people make good athletes and uh, I just didn't pull that out of the air um, you know Jeff has used that term before and um, I, I wasn't a like a true believer in that you know you, you might say well why not of course you know but the kid that um, and, and I've seen him do it I've seen him do it that hasn't lifted or hasn't worked out or hasn't committed, um, maybe a little bit more talented than another kid, um, you know, that's put in the work all summer and worked his butt off. He's, he's going to go with the kid that put in the time and put in the work, even if uh, it means biting the bullet. But, you know, uh, I've learned over the years that that kid's going to be there for you. That kid's going to be there for the team, and, um, and eventually he's going to make a play. And eventually, um, hard work will overcome the talent. And, uh, you know, you see that on posters or T-shirts and things like that. But I've witnessed it. I witnessed it in the Ishpeming program. And um, that's what I'm trying to instill in our kids. And, uh, um, you know, I'm proud to say that that uh, we do. We, we have 25, 30, 35 kids uh, working out in the weight room. Uh, we've got kids that are excited about football and, uh, our program has volunteered in the community uh, immensely uh, since I've been here. And that, that's not due to me. That's me sending a message to our kids uh, that I always sent a message from Jeff Olson when he sent it to his kids. And uh, I learned from that. Um, you know, and, and uh, I, I think both communities now, uh, both programs uh, give back to the communities immensely. And um, and that, that started with Jeff Olson. Coach Scott Sergela, the Westwood High School football team, former assistant to Jeff Olson. Coach, as always, appreciate you taking the time. We'll talk again here soon. All right, sounds good, Tim. Thanks. We'll take a timeout. More after this coming up on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, Danner Hoops with you, joined by Ryan Stieg for the Mining Journal. Not Friday, but plenty has been going on regarding Northern Michigan athletics. Ryan's been kind enough to double dip. How's it going? It's doing all right. Uh, a little interesting situation. I'm coming 
early in the week, you know, <laughs> changing things up a little bit. But yeah, it's uh, good to be here as always. Hey, not all heroes wear capes. Thank you for your service. <laughs> yes. Double thank you. dip in here this week in the sports pen. We are going to get to what Ryan has to say regarding Northern Michigan postseason athletics coming up. But first, here's your Sports Center update. A lot of that centers around Northern Michigan in its own. NMU Hockey's Troy Loggins has been named the NCAA's first star of the week after a five-goal weekend against Michigan Tech. Interestingly enough, this weekend he will square off with this week's third star, Alaska goalie Anton Martinson, when the two collide in the WCHA quarterfinals. Elsewhere, former Northern Hockey player Phil Fox has been named the first head coach of the North American Hockey League's newest expansion team, the New Mexico Ice Wolves. And finally... Antonio Brown is offering you the chance to receive a personalized video message from him for a one-time fee of $500. The soon-to-be ex-Steelers wide receiver is now on Cameo.com. Him and a lot of other celebrities are going to sell you the opportunity to get your own personalized video from them. Antonio Brown has decided $500 is the right charge. Would you pay $500 for a personalized video from Antonio Brown? Eh, I don't know. It's like I guess you're considering it. Like he would have to really offer me something special in the video, like an endorsement of me, like for future paths in my career. Like you should hire this guy, you know, Washington Post, because <laughs> he's awesome. Or you know what I mean? Like he'd have to, you know, give something extra for me to even consider it, because. That's a lot of money for something not that great. Let me play you a sample of one that he did for somebody. Someone paid $500 for this and see if you're still considering it. Happy 38th birthday. And I hear it's your second anniversary wedding. I hear you've been working really hard as a defense attorney and your birthday is here. Happy birthday. We celebrate you today. Hope your birthday is booming. Hope your birthday is booming. That's it. That's it. Didn't even say the guy's name. Paid five hundred dollars for it. You know, then it's not even <laughs> then it's not even really a personalized message. You're just saying stuff. It's like it's like when you you know write on somebody's Facebook wall, "Happy birthday." Mm-hmm. You know, if, I mean, if you don't use the person's name or acknowledge, you know, yeah. you're just, if you do like. A happy birthday, you know, and don't even put like an exclamation point. HBD. H, you know, there you go. You know, it's like, that's that's not a lot of effort. It's like, it doesn't mean anything, so no. I like the part, it's your second anniversary wedding. Like, what is that? So like, your second, so like, is it your, you got married two years ago? Or is it like, (laughs) you got, this is your second wedding and it's the anniversary <laughs> of that second wedding. It doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, that's on sale for $500 at Cameo.com. Same price Brett Favre is charging on that same website. Would you pay $500 for Brett Favre to do one of those? I would imagine it would be a little more interesting. Right. Because <laughs> I'm sure Brett Favre would probably throw on an endorsement of some product. It's Wrangler <laughs> jeans. Wrangler jeans, that razor pen thing that he used to <laughs> shave with or whatever uh, uh it would i think it would be a more interesting one but no so is there anyone you would pay five hundred dollars for them to send you one of those no really i mean because <laughs> you again you'd have to really give me something like right. something really personalized like endorse something that i've done you know like we're like hey he wrote a really awesome column last week. You should read his stuff more often. You know, you got to 
do something. Otherwise, it's like, okay, I could get the same thing from just about anybody, like a stranger off the street for free. You could get any athlete or celebrity that's on that website, and they start their own price for it. Thaddeus Lewis, the third-string quarterback for Baltimore, maybe he's the second string now without Joe Flacco. He's on that website charging $5 for him doing the same thing. A little more affordable, but no one knows who Thaddeus Lewis is. No. But five bucks is five bucks. Five bucks is five bucks. Yeah, so maybe that'd be worth it if I knew who the guy was. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Ryan Stieg, once again, from the Mining Journal in studio with us for the back end of the sports pen on this Tuesday afternoon. Gliak Turney starts tonight for the Northern Michigan basketball teams. The women are at home with Ferris State in the 4-5 seed game. Men travel to Ferris. The women are a team that has relied on their defense this season. And Ferris is a team that has a pretty good offense when they get going. It's going to be a tough matchup for the women. Uh, yeah. The <laughs> Northern prides itself on defense, and that is their you know greatest strength. They're one of the best defensive teams in the country. But they're also one of the worst defensive teams. And they needed double overtime to beat Ferris the last time they played them. And I believe it took them to hit the 80 mark to be able to get a win. Mm -hmm. If a team that just a couple games ago only managed 37 points against Grand Valley State, what's that say about the potential for this weekend? Like, this could be... <laughs> if if they struggle as bad as that, it could be a disaster yeah. tonight and uh, a not pleasant Troy Matson probably after the game. Let's hope that's not the case, though, because we know they can defend and yeah. they brought it, just not as consistently maybe as we'd like. Yeah, I've seen them play well. I've seen them actually have a good offensive night. I've seen them play great defensively, but it's it's hard for them to actually have them both at the same time. Like, they'll you know, win a game, you know, 58 to 55 or something. So they played good defense. And then they'll actually have a phenomenal game where they'll put up like 90 points mm -hmm. against Lake State. But it just, I don't know. If they're going to go far in the GLIAC tournament, they got to find a way to do both. And, uh, you know, Troy's mentioned it many times that what's held them back, he said, this year has been their offense. He said this could be this could have been like a very stellar season. And it still was in a way. I mean, they had a chance to win the, you know, the North Division. And uh, it's been pretty good overall. But their inability to score consistently has held them back. And uh, he likes to say that they're not mentally tough enough, yeah. which, you know, could be kind of a loose term it could be used for a wide variety of things like can you handle a pressure situation can you handle when the going is difficult or whether you just can't score it was i always like it when he uses that <laughs> that term um because you can never quite get what he's actually trying to say um i'd they have to be good tonight and they're getting a tough team out the gates i mean if they had like the eight seed mm -hmm. or like the seven seed where you could look at it on paper and say like this should be a win they'll you know get another home game you know kind of pack the berry a little more get people excited but this will most likely be their only home game last home game of the year and uh they do not have an easy task now ferris isn't they aren't grand valley they're not ashland but they're still a good solid program and uh unfortunately that's the hand they've been dealt the men are on the road. They're taking on Ferris as yep. the five seed. That's another team that 
is really, really good. They're probably better than the four seed, to be honest with you. But Northern's played them really well twice this season. It's with the men there. I imagine this has been a disappointing season for them because there was a lot of hype. I hyped them up quite a bit in my season preview. There, you know, they had so many good guys coming back that this could have been, you know maybe finish second in the maybe probably I thought they'd win the north I thought they'd you know maybe get the two seed overall that you know really make a statement going in the postseason and they're inconsistent they I'll see them you know whereas northern's women's team is mostly their offense it's you know it's just kind of overall play they'll look really good against teams that they probably shouldn't be good against and then against teams that they should probably have beaten they just don't look great i mean they lost to parkside which should have been a win for them and then they come up just short of davenport after beating davenport and marquette and then an upset just snapped that long losing streak but then just came a little short again and ferris has been the team that's kind of had their number a little bit like they get so close, and they almost beat Ferris twice mm-hmm. this year, and now they have to go to Big Rapids, which is not where they want to be. But if there's a plus there, is that maybe the third time's a charm? Yeah. Because it's hard, you know, it, it's hard just in general to beat a team twice in one year. It's even harder to do it three times because they know what to expect at that point. They know how to handle you, um, what offense you're going to run, the kind of plays you have. Um and it's been said hard, you know, every year. Like, even when, even for hockey teams, like, oh, we swept, you know, them in a series this year, but now you get them in the playoffs, you know, mm-hmm. you, you don't know what you have. And uh, you can have just one bad night, and that can be the end of their season. And I think if Northern can play at the level that they can, if Eccles can go off, if Johnson can have a good game, and just everybody contribute, because I've seen them where the whole starting five just works well as a unit and gets a win, they can't just have one guy. They can't just have Eccles have a good night, or they can't just have Johnson. they got to have both of them. they got to have Sam Taylor, Sam Taylor get in there. they got to have Troy Summers. they got to have Miles... Miles Howard's such a great defensive player. He blocks shots like a madman, and he's just a great rebounder. But he's not like a potent scorer. They gotta have him at least get into double digits, like hit the ten point mark. And they need Troy Summers, who's really come along as a great, you know, for a freshman. I believe he's mm-hmm. a freshman to have just a great post presence, which is something that they've la- that Northern's been lacking. They all the pieces are there that they could make a run in the Gliak tournament, but they can't have someone not contribute, you know, to struggle. I mean, I've seen their stat book where, like, their go-to players, I mean, will have, like, six, eight points a night, and one guy will have close to 30, but then, like, the supporting cast struggles to hit 12. I mean, it's not going to help you. So they need everybody to play well. I think there's there's potential that they could beat Ferris tonight. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I've gone back and forth on it. I could they pull the ups? I'm leaning towards they probably won't, but I think it's going to be a very good game. Ryan Stig for the Mining Journal with us. We'll switch to hockey when we come back in our final segment of the day. You're listening to the Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at four on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, Tanner Hoops, Ryan Stieg with you just about to the 5 o'clock hour. We've got hockey to jump into as the WCHA tournament 
gets going this weekend. Northern, the two seed, did what they needed to at the back end of the year. They played their darndest. They play their best hockey when they need to. Now they get to host Alaska, maybe another round after that, and we'll see, but kind of like the momentum that Northern's going into the tournament on. They... The concern was going into that Lake State series a couple weeks ago that they weren't, that they might not even get home ice, mm-hmm. which would be a, a huge, you know, it, it would just have been a big blow for them because a lot of people thought they'd win the conference this year. I thought them, I thought they'd finish second. I thought they'd just finish a step behind Minnesota State, and then the Mavericks had this spectacular season, mm-hmm. so kind of overwhelmed everybody, but. Uh, and you know, their offense has plagued them this year, and their defense has been okay, but it's just the consistency wasn't there. But the last, after that weekend in Bemidji, Grant said that that was kind of the turning point for them because they looked really off in that Saturday game. But coming into Lake, the Lake State Series, they look good. They mm-hmm. look good Friday. They look good Saturday. Won the Capo Cup. Um you know, Denver Pierce had his. That was probably the most appropriate thing I've seen for Northern to have the Sioux native win the game <laughs> for them on Saturday night. It was very, it was, it was very poignant. And uh, you know, things were coming together. And then there was the Tech Gate series last weekend. Ate stops fifty-eight shots out of sixty up there. You know, Loggins gets the hat trick. Everybody, it's like everything was finally moving towards the center like a cohesive unit and then saturday that was probably the most complete game i've seen so far i mean i've seen them play well this year but the offense was there Loggins had two goals mitch slattery scored which is a rarity <laughs> but he contributed i mean there was um ate of course had his 13th career shutout which is kind of a new you, record. Yeah, a new record, and you kind of expected it to fall at some point. Um, but he's just, he was lights out, he's playing well. But they stifled Tech yeah. on Saturday. There were so few scoring chances. If you read my game recap, I was I was struggling to find something really good to say about Tech. Because, you know, I expected it to be a competitive game, and it really wasn't. They, The shot total was low. They couldn't really generate good scoring chances they didn't look good you know (laughs) as northern started to get into its groove it was it was kind of weird how you went from putting up 60 shots to being almost non-existent Mm -hmm. (laughs) and simply the following night i mean hockey's weird like that you see teams fall off maybe the next night but not at the level like tech right and uh it was it was weird but northern is clicking right now to go from two weeks ago to potentially not getting a home playoff game to now locking in the two seed, it, it shows how far they've come in a short period of time. What do we expect from Alaska this week? We win up there. They haven't come here yet, so that'll be Northern fans' first look at them this season. They're, you're going to see a team that is they're a gritty kind of team. They're, they're obviously the underdog coming in here, and they're going to be the underdog probably the rest of the way. They... They play an Olympic sheet. You know, a lot of times when teams come to Northern, they stumble a little bit because they play in NHL rinks, whereas uh, Olympics rinks are wider at the ends, and that can create a different style of offense that you're not quite used to playing against, whereas Fairbanks is used to that. They know what to expect. You're not going to see a a potent offense. You know, it's basically going to be 
Alaska's going to try to slow down Northern and try to keep up with them, try to keep like a 2-1 game, a 3-2 game, a manageable game, because if Northern gets hot and, you know, like that first game last year where that Huntsville played where I think Northern put up like eight goals or something like that, if if they can get going that fast, Fairbanks is going to be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So they need to really clamp down on Northern right away. There's no real star power on Fairbanks, it's kind of like just everybody contributing. You know, there's no big stat guy. They're not like Lake State or Mankato or something that's going to have a go-to guy or two. They're going to be – you're going to have guys on this team that are maybe hitting the 10-point mark, the 12-point mark, but they're going to be the clutch guys that they're going to rely on. And uh, in, uh, up in Fairbanks this year, I was just done talking to Grant, and he said that they looked really good one night – and then the next night they had to gut it out. It was a really competitive game. If you stayed up and watched it, that ended at like one thirty in the morning. <laughs> it was Saturday was a really competitive hockey game, and the fact that it was a defensive game. Northern needed Phil Ballou to score a three power play goal hat trick in the span of I think it was like two minutes. So that gave them the spark they needed to finish up the sweep. So Northern probably won't need that kind of bizarre surge in a mm-hmm. short period of time, but they're they're going to have to play, you know, it comes back to consistency. They're going to have to do what they did the last two weeks and not overlook Fairbanks because Lake State is a good team this year. They're a rival. Tech is the arch rival. You know, it, they get up for that game every year. The first round is against a team that's not particularly good, no. that doesn't have star power. They don't have a lot of attention given to them and you can't stumble you know i was wondering about that when they played huntsville last year because huntsville was actually pretty good this year i know they were the seventh seed but they had good players josh kessner ended up i think making the first team or the second team in the mm. wcha so he had a, he's a good guy their goaltending was pretty good everything there was a good year for them and they won on saturday night the huntsville upset them and forcing it a third game you wonder if that's going to happen with Fairbanks. I think a lot of the veterans have that in their minds, knowing that they let a game slip away against Huntsville last year, and they don't want to let that happen again. Um, Alaska's traveling a long way <laughs> <laughs> out here, um, and uh, you wonder. I mean, they're used to it because they fly all the time right. over places, but now it's a playoff series. Your season's on the line. Can you kind of overcome that fatigue? It's it's going to be interesting. I think Northern's going to win. Um, I actually think it's going to be. Uh, I think they're going to sweep them in two games. Um, but it's not going to be blowouts. You're not going to see a seven-one like uh, what Bowling Green did to Huntsville. On a side note, that that's got to be a blow for Bowling Green because yeah. they get upset by the Chargers on Friday night. You know, had they won that game, they would have locked in the two seed, mm-hmm. and you know they'd be sitting pretty. They get upset, so then to try to get the two seed, they needed you know Bowling Green to win, and they needed Northern to lose. And Northern Bowling Green puts up seven goals. You're th- you know they're feeling really good, and then Tech like doesn't show up <laughs> against Northern. So you know now Bowling Green put all that effort in, and they're stuck with the third seed anyway. But uh, I think it's going to be. Two wins for Northern, but it's not going to be a seven-goal game or an eight-goal game or even a six-goal game. I think these are going to be four-two games, three-two games. I mean, it's going to be grinding it out 
to get wins. I mean, I'm sure Northern will have a night where they look good offensively, mm-hmm. you know, but there's not it's not going to be the type of blowout that, you know, maybe they've been doing the last couple times. It's, it's going to be a close series. Ryan Steve from the Mining Journal with us talking a little college hockey. You brought up Alaska and their hockey program, and there have been rumors that they may not be able to take the ice next year, nor Alaska Anchorage, and a large part due to the new budget proposed by Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy. And, of course, they battled each other for the Governor's Cup over the weekend, and the Governor presented the trophy, was not greeted warmly, uh, with the thought that he may be the reason these two programs are shut down. Ryan's got a column that's coming out about that in the Mining Journal soon, so be on the lookout for that. We're going to get more in-depth on that on Friday, but let's move ahead to... Jacob Wilson and Sampo Ranta to end the show because we're running short on time. Um, Jacob Wilson delivered one of the most vicious open ice hits that we've seen in college hockey in a long time this weekend when Arizona State played Minnesota. He received a game misconduct, and he was suspended for a game after that. That was the regular season finale for Arizona State. They don't play in a conference. They're independent, so there will be no conference tournament. We do think they'll make the national tournament. It looks like they're going to, yeah. But that means Jacob Wilson would be out for the regional semifinal. The WCHA announced that Wilson has been suspended an extra game. Last night, that announcement was made that the WCHA, a conference not affiliated with either team involved in the game when the hit occurred, is issuing a suspension on Wilson for an extra game. So unless Arizona State makes the Frozen Four, Wilson won't be playing again this season. Why is a conference that's not affiliated with either team allowed to do that? Well, uh, Arizona State is trying to be a legit program. And people look down on you. If you don't have a conference, you know, they're like, how are you really legit? And Mm -hmm. uh, they... Now they are this year because they're playing really well, but they need to have an authority to like come down to them because you know if Northern has a bad hit, the WCH will come down. If Michigan has a questionable play, that Big Ten conference will look at it. Arizona State doesn't have that, so the WCH was like, "Okay, we'll do it." <laughs> so they basically not only monitor their own teams, WCHA monitors Arizona State as well. So in addition, so they gave out the big suspension to. Uh, Wilson and he's it it's interesting that they're doing that but also maybe if the Alaska teams are in the mess that they're in now there's been a debate for quite a while is Arizona State going to come into the WCHA mm-hmm. I mean they're already having the league oversee them <laughs> rules wise I mean it might be a perfect fit and if you want to travel I mean you eliminate the Alaska teams there is another team that you yep. can fly to so it uh but yeah it's I thought it was a pretty bad hit. There was a little minor debate on Twitter um, when I ret- when I tweeted out uh, the suspension and how some people um, say that, okay, it was just Minnesota made a dumb play and the hit wasn't all that bad, and some people are saying it was vicious, he needs to be done for the rest of the year. Um, I think it was brutal. I think uh, the suspension was valid. Uh, he <laughs> just... I mean, you just look at the replays, and it was a clear run-in, elbow right to the head. You know, it was just, it's vicious. Even when you slow it down, I mean, potentially it's even worse when you see it in slow motion. And uh, it wouldn't be so bad for Arizona State had they be in a conference, because then they'd just be either out the first game of the conference tournament, and, you know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But just imagine you're on the Sun Devils, 
and you play a non-conference, you don't have a game to play until the NCAA tournament. Right. So you were off for at least three weeks. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Right. <laughs> I mean, you practice, but, like, you, there's no games. There's no tense situations. You, you mean, mm-hmm. you're running drills for three weeks. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like having training camp almost. It's... They're in a tough spot, and now they lose one of their better players who won't play until the Frozen Four if they make it that far. And that's a question mark, too, because I think they're good, but I don't know if they have the weapons to make it to the Frozen Four. So an interesting situation, let's put it that way. What's even more interesting is that during my three years with the Sioux City Musketeers in the USHL, Jacob Wilson was our captain that year. His teammate was Sampo Ranta with Sioux City. They were teammates with Sioux City when we made our Clark Cup final run back in 2017. The bond isn't there anymore. I know them both well enough. That makes me think there wasn't intent for maliciousness. But either way, it still looked bad enough that I think uh, we can all agree that the suspension was necessary. Yeah, uh, the bond and the friendship didn't didn't (laughs) translate over into the game. Uh, Wilson was a tough interview, I'll say that. He was... He was the captain, so he was the guy you'd want to get on the interview. Uh-huh. You'd ask him what you need to do, what you need to clean up in the second period. Compete. That was his one-word answer all the time. It was straight-up Kyrie Irving. Nice. Mm. I, uh, where you get the, the responses, we just got to work hard. And it's like the LeBron answer. The LeBron answer. I mean, it's just. I mean, they're probably tired of having to say the same response over and over again. You know, they get the same questions. All well, the time, and Wilson but. wasn't a jerk about it. Right? He was a nice guy off the ice. It's, He's just, just he gets in his zone, man. He's a competitor, and yeah. I'm not not saying what he did to Sampo was wrong because I like Sampo too. But yeah, it was tough to see. Yeah, it, uh, it was a bad hit. And he's sitting, you know, until potentially the Frozen Four, which he probably deserves. But. Uh, it almost won. I hope they join a conference soon. I know mm-hmm. what's holding them back is their arena. Now they're, <laughs> you know, it's like they want. They're, uh, you know, from what I heard, they're working something out with uh, with the Coyotes to try to create an arena and uh, you know to make it marketable because they want to be in the NCHC and the NCHC said no because your arena barely, doesn't even seat a thousand people. Seriously, go Google their college arena this is a division one hockey arena it looks like a roller skating yeah rink. it looks like i mean i don't even know how to describe it like it's like a junior hockey rink you uh-huh. like doesn't even see the thousand it cracks i think the 900 mark and you're a d1 program and you're trying to say and you're a, you're a pac 12 program you're at a major <laughs> football basketball conference now i granted you're still an independent in hockey but still it's like you have the money <laughs> you know do something with it and uh that's what's holding them off to joining conference i know the wch is hesitant because they have an even number right now and you don't want to make it odd and but you know you got the alaska situations so that could change things but uh if they get an arena, I think that'll help them. You know, it organizes stuff more because now you have that support of the other teams because all the schools in a conference back each other up, and uh, they're in an interesting situation. I hope it gets resolved. I also hope the Alaska thing gets resolved mm-hmm. and the teams stick around because I, I feel bad for them. So, but uh, yeah, the changing world of college hockey. Again, check out Ryan's. Uh, he's got a. What is it? What do you what do you call that? An editorial? <laughs> um, basically, my columns. Column. Every, there you yeah, go. Yeah, or, um, sometimes it's I'll write them to just kind of explain a situation, um, like I did the first time that they went through these budget cuts. And sometimes I'll throw my opinion in there too, and what I think needs to happen, or 
can this work, you know, that kind of stuff. So it depends on the week. But uh, this one's going to be, you know, looking back at what happened the previous time, what might be in place now. And I'm also going to write about can the Alaska teams actually be successful? Yeah. Because right now, if I'm looking at their history and the situation is, it's hard to believe that either team is going to really reach the level that they want to be at. Hasn't Anchorage won seven games in their last 54? Something like that? I think... Uh, who it's was something it? Doyle like that. Woody said something like that. It was yep. like seven games in the last two years, and like this year they went on an eight-game losing streak and a seven-game losing streak and a, a four-game losing streak. I mean, they'll just go through long stretches of bad games. I still remember that one year. I think it was oh three, where Anchorage was like one and like twenty-eight and five mm-hmm. or something like that. I mean, one win all year. How do you? How does that even happen in in Division One college hockey? But it does, and it's 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 kind of mind boggling, and it's an interesting situation. So I'm going to do a little more research on it, and hopefully uh, people pick it up on Sunday. Say what you want about Sarah Palin; she never introduced a budget to cut two hockey programs. (laughs) Hey, no political takes here. I thought you were going to keep that political free. I I can go left, I can go right, maybe right a little easier than left, but... Yeah, I'm just saying, you said this on Friday, we're, uh, (laughs) but I'm just joking with you. We're over time anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, check out Ryan's column, he'll be back on Friday to talk it over. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UPWZAM, Ishpeming Marquette. Victorious Vikings, primary areas, and another convert. It's all next on This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. Hi again, everyone. I'm John Johnson, and welcome to This Week in High School Sports. It was a great day for Bronson Bowling last Friday in Battle Creek, as the boys' team captured its second straight MHSAA Division IV team championship, topping Unionville Seabling, and the girls' team, only in its second year, completed the sweep defeating East Jackson. And it was an interesting dynamic at the M66 Bowl because the two finals were going on simultaneously. There wasn't any pressure because this had happened before. It was just that feeling like we got this. You know, the kids had matured enough where they understood the task at hand and they got it done. So they did well. Coach Roger Wiseman directed the boys during the finals, and assistant coach Tammy Smith handled the girls. Brandon Heiska anchored the boys' effort, including a perfect 300 game during qualifying, and Dakota Smith led the girls. You can read more about the bowling finals on the second half page of the MHSAA website. Our MHSAA TV game balls this week go out to Rochester Hills Stony Creek, Gibraltar Carlson, Richmond, and Puyallup Westphalia. Schools which all claimed top honors in their respective divisions last weekend at the MHSAA Girls Competitive Cheer Finals in Grand Rapids. Events you can now watch for free on MHSAA TV. Back with more in a moment, you're listening to This Week in High School Sports. Do you need money for college? Michigan Student Aid is Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. They administer scholarships, grants, college savings programs, and other resources that help make college accessible, affordable, and achievable for you. See how they can help you today by visiting michigan.gov slash mystudentaid and connect with Michigan Student Aid on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. Come on, come on, come on.
Our weekly Be the Referee feature looks into the fine art of officiating with Sam Davis. In just about every single basketball game ever played, there are times where fans will turn to each other and wonder, why did that official make the call when there was another member of the crew that was a whole lot closer to the play? The most important thing in all of officiating, and especially basketball officiating, is the angle for an official. There will be many times during the game that the official that is closest to the play actually has the worst look or the worst angle. Many times, the player is going up in the lane for that shot, and the whistle will come from one of the two outside officials because they had the perfect angle to see all the elements of the play and can rule correctly. Thanks, Sam. You can be a referee. Go to the MHSAA website now to register. The shambles the newspaper industry has become in recent years has left us with fewer fewer reporters that you can truly call veterans. But at the individual wrestling finals at Ford Field last weekend, one of those few veteran sports writers left out there made the trip to the Motor City to cover his first state finals in that sport. He had a lot of general questions, as you might imagine, when he walked in the press room. But after one trip to the floor where upwards of 1,500 student-athletes and coaches and dozens of officials and tournament workers were assembled, he came back with another question. How does this all work? Well, wrestling, I explained, is a unique sport. It's truly a community where everybody knows everybody else. The size of school doesn't matter as much as it does in some sports. And the operation of a meet is literally a beehive of activity. I told him to just blend in. Later on, he came back and said that one of the other staff members at his newspaper usually covers wrestling, and that the first time he covered such a meet, it didn't take long to get the feel of things and get hooked on this truly unique atmosphere. He then said, I can see why. I've spoken passionately in this space over the years about the great things taking place in wrestling. The youth movement in our state continues to excel through my way. The Coaches Association conducted an individual high school girls event this season. The crowds at Ford Field were spectacular last weekend, and we won another convert with my sports writer friend as well. It's a big weekend on MHSAA TV. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you can punch up the ice hockey semifinals and finals live from USA Arena in Plymouth. And on Saturday, we'll have action from the three sites in the Lower Peninsula, boys swimming and diving finals. You've been listening to This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, a production of the MHSEA Network. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm John Johnson. We'll see you next time.